Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And welcome into AOA here as we wrap up our coverage from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Final day of the show here today and happy to be with you as always. I'm Jesse Allen and we have another busy show on tap for you here today. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk with South Dakota Senator John Thune. Uh, we got a few minutes with him. He is feeling a little under the weather, but uh, he's losing his voice. He's agreed, though, to uh, sit with us here for just a minute, so we're going to talk to him in a second. Also coming up, we'll talk to South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds in segment three today, get his thoughts on some of the recent foreign farmland ownership legislation that has been passed that he's been helping to lead that uh, charge in D.C. We're going to talk about that and some other issues that he is watching closely. That's coming up in segment three. In segment two today, FSA Administrator Zach Ducheneau from South Dakota. He is uh, here on the grounds at Dakota Fest, and he's going to join us to talk about some of the uh, various programs they're working on, some of that livestock disaster assistance uh, programs, emergency grain storage, and more. We'll get to that conversation coming up here in segment two of today's show. Also, uh, yesterday I had a chance to catch up with Luke. Luke Lindbergh from South Dakota Trade. I know we just had him on the show here uh, last week. We were uh, able to catch up with him just in passing on the grounds to talk about the upcoming Midwest Agricultural Export Summit and also some of the things he is hearing from folks here on the grounds, uh, things that are concerning them and more. We're going to hear that coming up in segment four today as well as a look at a few news headlines here throughout the show as well. So again, thank you for joining us here. Final day of Dakota Fest and uh, we've been happy to be here here on the grounds uh, for three days in Mitchell, South Dakota. Beautiful weather before things turn uh, pretty hot here for much of the country as we head to the weekend. We're going to see a lot of 100-degree temps and more in uh, many areas, so definitely uh, getting ready to uh, warm things up quite a bit. Could put some stress on crops as well, and I know that's a storyline we're going to be watching closely. Joining us now here on AOA, pleased to catch up with him. He is losing his voice a little bit, so we won't keep him too long, but we, we got a few minutes with him. South Dakota Senator John Thune is with us, and uh, Senator, it's great to uh, catch up with you, and sorry you're not feeling too good, but thanks for uh, making some time to stop by here at Dakota Fest. Oh, glad to do it, Jesse, and yeah, I apologize. I've now lost my voice, but uh, uh, always good to be at Dakota Fest. A great opportunity to interact with here from a lot of farmers and ranchers across South Dakota about the things that are important to them. And as we think about ag policy in Washington, it begins and ends with the ideas that we get from people here on the ground. And so this is a great kind of uh, laboratory for that. And we try to make the most of it when we're here and uh, had a really good day today. Well, and I know a lot of talk is uh, centered around the farm bill right now. We're wondering, will we be able to get something done? Sounds like by the calendar year, the end of the calendar year, potentially here, that September 30th deadline, is a, that's a pretty tight window at this point, isn't it? Yeah, I'd say that, that deadline's uh, at risk. I think it's going to be hard to complete it by then. We haven't, had, we haven't marked the bill up yet in, in the Senate Ag Committee. 
Um, uh, the Democrat majority in the Senate controls the timing of all this, but I hope they get a sense of urgency about it. We're probably not going to make that, which means we probably have a short-term extension of the existing bill. But hopefully when we get back in September, they'll decide to, to get this going because we got to get it through the committee on the floor of the Senate and start getting new policy in place for uh, the farmers and ranchers who um, are all across this country and here in South Dakota who are looking for some, for some certainty about what the new, next farm bill is going to look like. What's one of the biggest things you're hearing from producers that they want to see in this farm bill? We've heard a lot of talk about crop insurance and protecting those reference prices, et cetera, et cetera, for various crops. Is that still the biggest issue you're hearing when you talk to folks? The first and foremost, crop insurance is the cornerstone of farm policy in the country today. And so that's foundational, and you do hear that. So don't mess with it. It's working, or, or this could work a little better, or tweak this or that. Uh, and we've done that through the years. But, you know, that the commodity title of the bill, Title I, which is the other uh, safety net programs that complement crop insurance are also critically important to producers here. So we've had some ideas about how to strengthen those. Conservation title is important, and we're, we've got some ideas about how to make that uh, better and more functional, functional and workable for producers here in South Dakota, uh, some livestock provisions. So we've taken all the ideas, you know, gleaned from talking to farmers and ranchers here in our state and have tried to incorporate them. Uh, and get them included in this bill so that it's the best bill possible for South Dakota. I, I know some things that uh, we've heard, different pieces of legislation maybe trying to get under the farm bill. I know uh, Senator Grassley is talking about uh, his payment limits again, his payment caps. Uh, any thoughts on that? I know we ran into trouble last time we did a farm bill negotiation. That got taken out of the markup. Do you think something like that could make it into this farm bill? It could. I mean, it's... That issue has been uh, talked about a lot in the past. Yeah. The farm bill I've been associated with, payment limits has been an issue um, so far uh, unsuccessfully, but I suspect that it'll be uh, an amendment either at the committee level, Senator Grassley's on the committee or on the floor, and we'll see how it comes out. I mean, mm -hmm. there's some arguments, um, there's some good arguments in favor of it. There are a lot of groups and commodity groups here in South Dakota that are not in favor of payment limits. So, you know, again, we take our lead, generally speaking, from farmers and ranchers in the state, and uh, as always, we'll seek their input when it comes to deciding on uh, whatever proposal they put in front of us. Any other big issues uh, with the Farm Bill? Any other legislation like that you could see maybe sneak its way underneath the Farm Bill as a whole? Well, there's a big debate about uh, foreign ownership of farmland. Yeah. Uh, there's a big debate about country of origin labeling, both issues that uh, um, I hope we can get incorporated into the Farm Bill. We did get something done on foreign ownership of ag land included in the national defense bill that we passed a couple of weeks ago and um, hopefully that'll serve as a uh, you know a marker and then if we can we'll try and get in the farm bill too but um, yeah there's a couple issues that are hot out there and um, but you know it's um, it's a big bill it's got 12 titles so what yep. we try and do is get a good balanced approach and one that uh, is reflective of the views ideas uh, and solutions put forward by uh, people here in South Dakota well, we'll let you go rest that voice. We appreciate yeah. a few minutes of your time here at Dakota Fest. We'll get you back on AOA again when you're feeling better. And uh, thanks so much, uh, Senator Thune. It's good to see you again. Thanks, Jesse. Good to be with you. Thank you. 
And once again, South Dakota Senator John Thune joining us here on AOA today. And uh, we wish him well. Hope he gets his voice back. Uh, I know uh, from experience, I've had it happen to me a time or two. Never fun to uh, try and talk all day long when you don't have a voice. But we do appreciate him uh, being with us here on AOA today. Uh, again, keep it up here. Uh, we're broadcasting live. Final day from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. And we will be talking with his uh, Senate colleague here from the state of South Dakota, Mike rounds will be joining us coming up here in segment three we'll also talk with uh zach ducheneau the administrator of the farm service agency that is coming up here in our next segment as well and we'll have a look at a few uh various news headlines here coming up later in the show that we are keeping tabs on also uh, we're watching fertilizer prices they continue to decline that according to new data from the university of illinois and their farm doc daily website we'll talk about that also the U.S. welcoming the World Trade Organization report on China trade retaliations. We're going to look at that story as well. All that and more is coming up here as we continue our coverage from Dakota Fest here on AOA. We will be back with more. We'll be joined by Zach Ducheneau from the Farm Service Agency FSA Administrator. He joins us next here on AOA. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. Your grain cart, your auger wagon, your grain buggy, whatever you call it, whatever color, whoever's driving it, it serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at Scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. It's believed the very first official cattle drive took place in 1779. The Spanish joined the American Revolution, wanting to push out British rivals. Louisiana's Spanish governor asked Texas for cattle to help feed their troops, and 2,000 head of cattle were gathered and sent to Louisiana. This agricultural history is brought to you by the American Ag Network. information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. 
And welcome back to AOA Agriculture of America as we continue our live coverage at Dakota Fest here in Mitchell, South Dakota. Pleased to have joining us now the FSA Administrator, Zach Ducheneau is with us. And uh, Administrator, it's great to uh, catch up with you again. It's been a little while, but uh, glad to see you here in person at Dakota Fest. It has been a while, Jesse. It's good to be here and look forward to visiting with you about the issues that are important to your listeners. Well, I know a lot of things going on in agriculture, a lot of work you've been doing uh, at FSA, various programs. We think CRP, work with the livestock uh, programs, and, and much more. We're going to talk about all that. I'm sure, though, you get to hear a lot from folks here on the grounds while you're spending time and have a great conversation just about all the, the various issues that they're facing, challenges or, or victories that they're having out here in uh, rural America and across the state of South Dakota. Yeah, and as I shared with one of the other folks we talked with today, the, the circumstances when you see it at the level that I have the benefit of seeing are so different. Yeah. I was in Biloxi, Mississippi a week ago, College Station, Texas the week before that. And every producer's got their own unique circumstances. So what we're hoping to bring from the perspective of the Farm Service Agency is a unified approach. And that's an approach that listens to our stakeholders and leverages our flexibility to the benefit of our producers and continues to try to improve these programs so that they're really meeting the diversity of needs that we've got out there in the countryside. Well, speaking of programs, CRP, I know we've had some recent announcements on acres accepted into CRP, the grassland CRP, and more. Uh, can you get us up to speed on just some of that news that we've seen regarding CRP? I sure can, Jesse. We've Since we came in in February of 21, we've seen a renewed interest in CRP. We've made some enhancements and adjustments to the program to make it a more viable option for producers to consider. Of course, still voluntary and incentive-based, but the interest has has really been uh, impressive, and producers mm -hmm. are really taking a look at conservation as a production tool. And you see that indicated in our working lands program, the Grassland CRP, which has had record interest in each of the last two years. And I think that when we first got to got in with the administration, we took a look at the target that was set in the farm bill. Uh, the, it's set as a cap. We saw it as a target. We want to try to meet that and get lands in conservation because an important aspect of our CRP program, which our producers in this part of the country know very well, haying and grazing is allowed on a lot of these practices. Mm -hmm. And emergency haying and grazing has really been one of the tools that we've used to help keep cow herds together, livestock herds together through some of the most troubling droughts yeah. in, a, in recent memory in this part of the country. And we've seen, you know, I know this year has been a bit better, thankfully, but we've seen some pretty rough drought here the last couple of years across much of the northern plains. Yeah, we have. And some of the work that we've been able to do to make our livestock disaster programs a little better has really helped. And it's a, it's a demonstration of the level of impact that an investment of federal resources in times of need can have. Yeah. Because if you think about the producers in North Dakota and 2021 who are forced near to liquidation of their herds or partial liquidation because they just had to go too darn far to get the feed. We made some changes to the ELAP program to help them get that feed in. Producers in the south central part of this state and on over through Wyoming, Nebraska, Colorado, Utah saw winter storms mm -hmm. like they had never seen before. 
and the feed was snowed under or they couldn't get it because of the drought. We made changes to the ELAP program that allowed them to help keep that cow herd together. And because of that, they're going to be party to some of the best markets any of them have seen in their lifetime. That's a great point. And that point. small investment to keep that cow herd together is going to continue to drive these rural economies. Yeah, and that's a great, great point. You know, you mentioned just some of that work you guys done with ELAP, and we think about the emergency hang and grazing. The, a, a lot of work you guys have done at FSA to help out our livestock producers, both, you know, here in the north and in the south as well, too. I know they've experienced their fair share of droughts in Texas and Oklahoma here the last couple of years, too. So Yeah, and the, and the drought has moved. It hasn't abated all across the country. Yep. You still, still see a lot of dark red in that drought map. And you see segments of isolated drought that really don't register on the drought map. So that's mm-hmm. one of the things that we're kind of taking a look at as well. How do we improve the data set that we use for that drought monitor so we can be more granular in our, granular in our approach and really take into account more local circumstances? I know as well, thinking on the grain side, uh, some new uh, literature coming out about emergency grain storage. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Yeah, well, that's a, a function of the severe wind storms that we had sweep across the country here yeah. in the last few years. Uh, new, new things like derechos. I'd never heard of a derecho mm-hmm. in 50 years. But got to see some of the damage firsthand last year as I toured northeastern South Dakota and Minnesota. And Congress saw fit to create a program to help deliver some assistance to producers in replacing these storage facilities. We rolled that program out and very quickly become aware of the fact that the resources were far outstripped by the demand. So we went to work and the secretary is using some CCC funding to build out that program a little more robustly so that we can meet more of the need. But just in South Dakota alone, Jesse, the demand for that program was $400 million. Wow. And we don't have that kind of resource available. So we want to make producers aware that we still have one of the best programs for establishing on-farm storage facilities in our farm storage facility loan program, where you can get a a very beneficial interest rate and great financing terms to put these things up on your terms instead of having to wait for a disaster to come in and trigger this. So a couple of programs that can work great together to help us meet some of the demand for grain storage so producers aren't victim to that uh, spot market. We're talking with FSA Administrator Zach Ducheneau here on AOA, and I I know a lot of the work you're doing at FSA all ties into the administration's overall climate smart commodities and just the the climate smart initiatives that we've seen here in the last few years and with USDA obviously implementing a a lot of those. It kind of all ties in under that umbrella, doesn't it? Yeah, it all ties in with the approach, and and as we do things to ensure that our producers are in the marketplace. Yeah when the demand for these climate smart commodities rises as it is now, producers have to be at the table, otherwise they're gonna be a victim to the market. The climate smart commodities programs that we were able to roll out in the last couple of years have really engaged a diverse set of stakeholders, a diverse set of partners, Tyson Foods, South Dakota State University, the Tonka Fund in this part of the country have all been meaningful participants in that. And we look forward to seeing how producers can really start to drive the demand for their climate smart commodities. 
Final thoughts before we let you go. Any other um, issues you guys are working on? I know you have some time here at home in South Dakota, but I know you're going to head back to D.C. as well soon. And I know there, there's plenty going on in agriculture. What are some things maybe on the horizon or what are some things, uh, some work you're continuing to do uh, there at the FSA? You bet. Well, we continue to take a look at those programs and yeah. find places where we can exercise some flexibility, listening to our stakeholders, seeing what's working and what's not working. And, of course, the, the elephant in every room right now is the farm bill and the fact mm -hmm. that many of the programs that are authorized there expire September 30th. I'm looking forward to listening to our South Dakota congressional delegation give their perspective on the prospects for a farm bill or an extension this year. Like everybody else, I get to go out to Rapid City tomorrow, talk with our friends at RCAF, share some of the work we're doing in investing in ag producers in the livestock industry there. And uh, just want to share with your listeners, I'm available. My phone number and email are on our website. My phone number is 202-941-4675. My email is zach.dushino at usda.gov. If I can't get out to see you in person, I'd love to hear from you, good, bad, or indifferent. And the only thing I ask in exchange for sharing my contact information freely is when you go to your county office, thank the person across the counter because they're sacrificing time with their family to help us deliver these programs to you, and I can't get to every county office. Well, always generous with your time, and we do appreciate a few minutes here on AOA and appreciate you sharing that as well. And I know we'll talk to you again real soon. I'll let you go. Busy day here at Dakota Fest with that FSA Administrator, Zach Ducheneau. Thanks for joining us here today. We appreciate it. Glad to be here, Jesse. Thank you. And once again, that is Zach Ducheneau, the Farm Service Agency Administrator, joining us here today on Agriculture of America. We do appreciate his time joining us here on the program. And again, we're broadcasting live from day number three of Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Beautiful weather here today before things are, are really going to heat up across much of the country. Hopefully, uh, you're preparing yourself. Uh, a lot of 90s, 100-degree temps coming in here as we head to the weekend and into next week. It's going to be a scorcher, that is for sure. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we're going to have a conversation with South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds. He is here with us and he is going to sit down. We're going to talk about some of the uh, farmland, foreign farmland ownership legislation. We'll talk farm bill and much more. That is all coming up next as we continue AOA here from Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Back with more right after this. Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back here to AOA Agriculture of America as we broadcast live at Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. And joining us now here on the program, pleased to have with us South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds. And Senator Rounds, it's good to catch up with you again, sir. How are no, you? I appreciate the opportunity to visit. It's been a great day here at Dakota Fest. A lot of people walking around, new ideas, lots of equipment. 
good people just taking a day to kind of come in and see what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, and it's always good to kind of, you know, go kick the tires on some new equipment and also here's some, uh, here's some different ideas. And I'm sure you get a lot of that talking to your constituents here, uh, things that are, are, are concerning them or victories that they've had. I'm sure it's always a lot of great discussions, isn't it? It is. And, you know, a, a lot of them like the idea of being able to figure out in advance kind of what's going to go on with the farm bill. Sure. Whether we're going to get a continuation of it or if it's going to be a a brand new one or what it's going to look like. So we had some really good visits here today with folks. Another thing that a number of individuals brought up was is their inability to get help on the farm. Mm-hmm. So we've had a number of discussions with folks who are trying to figure out whether or not one of the federal programs that allows for a guest worker to come in legally into the country to work, how to go about getting that. Um, and, and so you do your best to try to connect them with the right folks at the federal level for what they call an H-2A yep. uh, application. Uh, some of the folks here have talked about, you know, they got kids that they really want to have come back to the farm or grandkids, but they're really worried about the buy-in price. They're concerned that a young person trying to get back into it just simply is going to be real challenged with the finances that it takes to get in and get a farming operation started. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of great points you brought up there. I think on the farm labor issue, for one, um, you know, we're starting to see some more precision technology be able to come into certain spots, but it can't work for everything. At some point, you need those hands on the farm to do some of that work. And I know it's been a struggle for some folks to find, uh, you know, work through that, that guest worker program. Yeah, you know, you, you can you, farm families are smaller, yep. farms are bigger, and you've got to have the bigger equipment. But you still got to have somebody that can help you hook and unhook. You still got to have somebody to drive the grain cart. Still got to have somebody that's going to take that semi in, into the town and wait to get dumped and so forth. And uh, and if you're a livestock producer, there's a lot of hands-on work that's got to be done as a livestock producer. Technology can help, but it's not the 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 end all for everything. So you're using it. You're trying to be as efficient as possible. You're trying to get as as much productivity out of the land as you possibly can. But you're still going to need somebody to help you with a lot of the basic tasks. And that's the reason why a lot of them are just saying, you know, we just don't have folks around the small towns we used to have. Mm-hmm. And, and they're right. We don't. We don't. And you mentioned, you know, beginning farmers or just some of that farm transition. I know we've seen some in recent years a lot of talk about that various legislation or looking at programs for USDA for beginning and young farmers. Uh, so uh, there's work being done there. It's But it is still a challenge as you kind of look at that farm transition in some cases. There is because, first of all, the, the better part of a safety net you put in place the more valuable that land becomes, which yes. drives the price up. And uh, at the same time, uh, there's a lot of families out there that want their kids to be able to come back in and take it over. The kids are looking at what's going to be best for them long term. Yeah. Um, I tell people, young people set their roots early. And we want those roots set in South Dakota. We don't want them to go out of state and be uh, literally uh, identified by folks from out of state as being very, very valuable. And they basically buy them. And pretty soon, you know what? They're starting to set roots in another location. That's our loss. So my challenge to families that have got farms now is, is if you've got kids and they've got an interest at all in farming, don't let them go. Get them the training. Get them into a tech school. Get them into some college and so forth. But make sure they understand very clearly how much you value the possibility of them coming back. Make it worth their time to come home and to be a part of that ongoing plan. That's hard for a lot of producers out there to say, you mean I got to give up a little bit on this thing here or, you know, maybe some Mm. ownership in this stuff? 
a lot of that is going to help them long term down the road. And so we don't want to lose those kids and these farmers and ranching families. They don't want to lose them either. But sometimes that's hard to give up a little bit and let that younger person step in and have some some interest as well. We're talking with Senator Mike Rounds. Senator, let's talk foreign farmland ownership. I know you have an amendment out there. I know uh, just here uh, this week, uh, a lot of statewide support in South Dakota for uh, that amendment. You know, looking at this whole issue, get us up to speed on where things stand. Obviously, a big issue that really exploded beginning of this year with the Fufeng issue up in, up in North Dakota. And I know you've been helping lead the charge on this. Yeah, what we did is we've proposed uh, a piece of legislation as an amendment to the National Defense Authorization Act. The Senate, by, by a huge majority, I think 91 votes out of 100, mm-hmm. voted in favor of the amendment. And what it does, it, it's not designed to be a messaging amendment. It's an actual operational amendment that would prohibit um, People's Republic of China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea from purchasing farmland or farm businesses in the United States. Uh, the, the reason for that is I, we, none of us can think of any good reason why any one of those countries, those governments, should own our farmland. What brought it all to light, as you've indicated, is because uh, People's Republic of China wanted to buy land close to an air base yeah. in North Dakota. They wanted to put a, a wet corn milling plant or a, 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 a milling plant in, in North Dakota that would have been a fairly large with lots of buildings on it. All sorts of equipment could have been put inside of those buildings. And this is a very sensitive uh, air base with lots of communications capabilities in it. Naturally, China would love to be able to learn as much as possible about what we do out of an air base and the communications that come in and out. That's what drove this to begin with. Um, mm-hmm. We've put some provisions in it so that uh, businesses, and Smithfield is a good example, they do have some Chinese ownership. Yes. Um, but they're also in an urban area. Sioux Falls qualifies as an urban area. We put provisions into this so that in those urban areas, if they want to expand to pick up access to a road or whatever, this does not apply to them. They can do that in an urban area. In a rural area, though, if Smithfield wanted to buy some farmland next to an existing or, or whatever, they are going to have to go through that process, and they're going to have to apply for an exemption. The only entity that can provide that exemption would be the president or his designee. In the meantime, CFIUS, which is a, the committee that looks at all foreign investments in the United States, has the authority to review and will look at these different uh, applications. Uh, we've also included the Secretary of Ag as an ex officio member now of mm-hmm. the committee. We've got good support, Republican and Democrat alike on this. Came out of the Senate, as I say, with really good support. Uh, matter of fact, the NDAA came out with 87 votes, I believe, out of 100 in favor of it. Now we, we uh, uh, take that to the House and we do a conference committee with the House. I think we'll have strong support in the House as well. And you mentioned you know, having to maybe go through that waiver process in the case of a, of a Smithfield or a company that already has some foreign ownership. Just to expand on that, uh, clarify a little bit. If a company, you know, is like already owned, obviously, by a foreign country, um, the exemptions about is about the only part of it. It's not something that we can get rid of that ownership in that company, right? No, that that's correct. They're they're grandfathered in uh, yeah, because okay. they've yeah. already gone through that process to begin with. Sure. Uh, as a through business CPS. to begin with. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. I appreciate the clarification. I just wanted to, I thought it was going through yeah. my head. I thought we should answer that farm bill. A lot of talk about the Farm Bill being uh, something that 
probably going to be looking at the end of the calendar year at this point. Is that what you're hearing? That, that's what we're hearing. And once again, I'm not on the committee. And John, John Thune and, yep. and Dusty are both on. They normally only want one member uh, in the Senate from each state on that committee, uh, with a few exceptions. But John's got seniority on it. And from what we understand, it looks like uh, it's supposed to be up at the end of September. The chances are really good that there'll be an extension until the end of the calendar year in December. Yep. But we're, we're making good strides on getting stuff done in all uh, 12 of those separate titles. Uh, Republicans and Democrats seem to be working well across the aisles, making the necessary compromises to get the bill done. The House will have a different version, yep. and we'll have to sit down with them in November and early December to come up with compromise legislation. But I, I'm very optimistic because Republican, Democrat, urban, and rural all want to see the Farm Bill extended because for the urban folks, that's where all of the, the SNAP programs are at, which is the nutrition title. And that's, that's really, for the, for, the, for the 10 years looking out, mm -hmm. that's $1.2 trillion of the $1.5 trillion authorizations found within the Farm Bill. So urban members have an interest in seeing this get passed as well. Yeah, it's, it's always a heavy lift when you have to work through all the different things, and obviously north versus south. Yeah. But it, it, it's something that we know it's a very, very important piece of legislation, and uh, getting it done hopefully by the end of the calendar year yeah, is and important. Our, our goal has been to make sure that we've got a good safety net yep. system in place. That's our goal. Any other thoughts? I know as well, uh, country of origin labeling was a, a big topic here earlier this year. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, it, uh, we think we'll include it in the farm bill. We okay. think it should be a part of it. We've got good support on the committee from the way it looks. And as long as we put it in such a fashion that it requires our trade reps to actually make the deal, rather than just imposing it, then the WTO shouldn't have much to say about it. Well, Senator Rounds, we do appreciate the time. Thank you for stopping by and joining us here on AOA. We'll look forward to getting you back on the show again soon. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks. And once again, that is South Dakota Senator Mike Rounds joining us here today on AOA. We do appreciate his time with us here on the program. Coming up here on AOA, we're going to wrap things up. We've got a few news headlines to take a look at. Also, uh, Wednesday afternoon, I was able to catch up with Luke Lindbergh with South Dakota Trade on the grounds here at Dakota Fest. I know we just had him on the show here uh, last week. Uh, we recapped again and highlighted the upcoming Midwest Agricultural Export Summit. And he also talked about some of the issues he's hearing from farmers and ranchers here on the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota over the last couple of days. Really uh, insightful stuff that he's hearing from folks is what he told me. We're going to listen back to uh, that commentary with him as well as uh, take a look at a few news headlines before we wrap things up here from the grounds in Mitchell, South Dakota. Again, uh, beautiful weather here today as we wrap up day number three of the show. It's really been a lot of fun uh, being here, making the rounds, kicking some tires, talking with folks out here in farm country in uh, the heart of South Dakota and uh, just hearing about how things are going on their farm and their ranch. We'll get to uh, that conversation with Luke Lindbergh and take a look at news headlines. That's on the way next as we're back with more AOA right after this. Your grain cart, your auger wagon, your grain buggy, whatever you call it, whatever color, whoever's driving it, it serves a vital role in your operation every harvest. This year, make your grain cart the center of automated record keeping. 
with a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle from ScaleTech. Reliability when it matters most. Accessible records when you need them. Adaptable solutions to fit your operation. We've taken the time to make sure our rugged products adapt to fit your current scale systems. So you have one less thing to worry about when it's go time. Make a Harvest Make Grain Cart Bundle your partner in automated record keeping at Scaletech.com. Scaletech. Your scale. Your way. At Great Plains, we engineer durable soil management, seeding, and planting equipment to help you get more out of every acre, harvest after harvest. United in purpose, driven by devotion, we work tirelessly to provide solutions so you can build a legacy that'll last. Visit your local dealer or go to greatplainsag.com today to lock in your order and unlock your potential. Great Plains. Harvest starts here. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers, and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger, Larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. Looking back into the history of agriculture, the first major pork packing plant was started in Cincinnati, Ohio by Alicia Mills in the year 1818. Nicknamed the Porkopolis, 85,000 head of pigs were processed at this plant each year. This ag history is brought to you by the American Ag Network. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Here is we're getting ready to wrap things up from Dakota Fest. And first up, though, I want to share a conversation I had with Luke Lindbergh from South Dakota Trade. I was able to catch up with him on the grounds Wednesday afternoon and uh, talk in person. Uh, we caught up a little bit more about the upcoming Midwest Agricultural Export Summit happening uh, this next week at Sioux Falls. We also uh, talked just a little bit about what he's hearing from folks around the grounds, from farmers and ranchers here uh, Near South, or near Mitchell, South Dakota, or from across the region, We've got a lot of folks here from North Dakota, Nebraska, Iowa, Minnesota as well. So here is that conversation with Luke Lindbergh from South Dakota Trade. And we are here at Dakota Fest in Mitchell, South Dakota. Joining us now, catching up with Luke Lindbergh with South Dakota Trade. Luke, it's uh, good to see you in person. I know we just chatted uh, last week, but uh, happy to catch up with you again in person. How are you? 
Jesse, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to be here at Dakota Fest today. Uh, always love being out here supporting our ag folks and the community here to uh, advance agriculture. It's a pretty neat event. Love being here. It is a very, very neat event. And I know a chance to uh, answer questions from folks and, and, and talk to folks and, and hear their concerns and some of the issues that are, are worrying them here in South Dakota, across the region. I know we have folks from you know, North Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Nebraska all here as well. Uh, just talk about what are some of the things you keep hearing from folks as you're making, making the rounds here at Dakota Fest? What is top of mind for them that they're really watching and worried about right now? You know, the last few years, all of a sudden supply chains have really become a kitchen table topic. And it's never something I thought I'd see in my lifetime, but people are wondering, you know, everything from where they're going to get their Christmas gifts to how they're going to procure their fertilizer in a, in a responsible way that costs uh, a way they can still make a buck on their, their commodities and things. So we've heard a lot about uh, resiliency in supply chains and how we can continue to source our products from friends around the world, but then also some concerns about market uh, responsiveness and how long will the buyers we're selling to today be the buyers we're going to be selling to tomorrow? And how do we look at the world geopolitics and figure out how to build resiliency and find new friends all over the world. So those are some of the things I've been taking away and thinking about how we can continue to support our ag community on those fronts. Well, and I know thinking about just geopolitics playing into what's going on with ag trade, we've seen a, I like to call it a reshuffling of the deck chairs, so to speak here, the last couple of years between just some of the issues uh, with, with the Russia-Ukraine war and China's role and them going a little more to South America, et cetera. It's, it's, it's kind of like reshuffling the deck chairs in a way, isn't it? It is exactly right. Yep. And I think there, that's happening not only in agriculture, but also in other industries. And so that's why it's really important for us to be forward-looking, thinking about the future and making sure we're positioned with the right trade agreements, with the right market access opportunities, the right friends in, in a variety of geographies around the world so that we have those options of who to sell to when uh, the deck chairs continue to change. And that's a, a big topic of conversation here at Dakota Fest. And I know yeah, other topics as well. I mean, everybody's watching this farm bill and et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things going on in agriculture right now, isn't there, Luke? It's a busy time in agriculture, yeah. Uh, and look, I I, um, I think there's a lot of great work happening. I think our state particularly is well represented at the federal level to make sure that the agricultural voices are being heard, you know, with Congressman Johnson being on the Ag Committee and Senator Thune being on the Ag Committee and also Senator Rounds playing an important role in international affairs. To me, we're well represented to make sure that our voices and those market opportunities are being uh, heard from in D.C. And I think our producers are consistently folks like Todd Wilkinson, who's the president this year of the National Cattlemen's Association, are out there telling that story effectively. Yeah, very, very true. I know coming up as well, uh, a great event next week here in Sioux Falls, uh, the Midwest Ag Export Summit you guys are hosting. Uh, talk about that a little bit for us again. Give us some of the highlights. Uh, really looking forward to a really, really packed lineup and a great event. We're very fortunate. Yeah, we have a great showing from seven states, and it gives us a chance to really play a lead role in helping define what some of those conversation topics are going to look like. We've got a panel on China and the United States, the future of their economic partnership. Uh, we've got a great panel of four state ag secretaries. So Mike Nag from Iowa, Sherry Vinton from Nebraska. We've got Tom Peterson coming down from Minnesota and then our own Hunter Roberts to talk about what, what are the priorities in the states? What are the export priorities? What are the export market priorities? And what are some of those pain points? And then uh, I think a fan favorite will be Linda McMahon, who is the former SBA administrator under President 
Trump. She founded the World Wrestling Enterprise, uh, and we're excited to have her come talk to us a little bit about uh, workforce development and how we can continue to support the ag economy through workforce development. So it'll be a, a really good, well-rounded agenda next week. Well, Luke, if folks uh, want to learn more, not only about the summit, but just in general, the things you guys are doing, the work you do at South Dakota Trade, how can they learn more? We'd love to have you look us up at www.southdakotatrade, all spelled out, .com, southdakotatrade.com. And if you want to talk more about these, specifically about the summit, you can always reach out to me, luke.lindberg, L-I-N-D-B-E-R-G, at southdakotatrade.com. We'd love to fill you in. Fantastic. Luke Lindbergh with South Dakota Trade. Thanks for a few minutes of your time here at Dakota Fest. We appreciate it. Jesse, always good to be with you. Thanks. And once again, that is Luke Lindbergh with South Dakota Trade joining us. Uh, I was able to talk with him Wednesday afternoon on the grounds at Dakota Fest as I was able to kind of make my way around and enjoy uh, the festivities uh, here throughout uh, the week so far. It was really great to catch up with Luke there in person. Again, that Midwest Agricultural Export Summit coming up here uh, this uh, coming week ahead in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Well, let's take a look at a couple of news headlines here before we wrap it up today. Fertilizer prices have continued there more than year-long decline through the first two weeks of August. The University of Illinois' Farm Doc Daily website shows that on a per pound of nitrogen basis, urea and liquid nitrogen fertilizers have historically been priced at a premium of 35 to 40 percent above anhydrous ammonia. However, the premium narrowed in 2022 as the Russia-Ukraine conflict disrupted global fertilizer markets. Now the premium on liquid relative to anhydrous has returned to more historical levels while the gap has continued to narrow between urea and anhydrous prices. This is attributed to continued expansion in global production capacity combined with lower demand prospects. The continued decline in fertilizer prices improves return and income prospects as we look ahead to soon-to-be-released crop budgets for 2024. Also, the U.S. Trade Representative's Office welcomed a report from the World Trade Organization calling U.S. steel and aluminum tariffs justified for security reasons. The WTO report recognized that U.S. Section 232 actions on steel and aluminum are security measures and that China illegally retaliated with sham safeguard tariffs. The panel rejected China's argument that the U.S. Section 232 actions are safeguard measures that may be rebalanced under WTO rules. All right, we're out of time here on AOA. Coming up on the next episode, we will talk with Josh Linville from StoneX about fertilizer. We'll also talk with Leah Wilkinson from the American Feed Industry Association. I'm Jesse Allen. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening to AOA. Did you know Henry Ford's Model T was designed to run on either gasoline or corn ethanol? After wheat and rice, corn is the third most cultivated crop. Over half of all the corn grown in the United States is grown in four states, Illinois, Iowa, Minnesota, and Nebraska. A typical year has about 800 kernels in 16 rows. Corn will always have an even number of rows on each cob. One variety of corn grown in Peru has kernels so large that they are eaten individually. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. In the early 1500s, the U.S.'s first cattle are said to have arrived in Florida. Brought here by Spanish explorer and conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon. Today, the U.S.'s cattle herd size is at its lowest level since 1952, with U.S. beef producers being recognized as the global leaders in sustainability when it comes to beef production. These egg facts are brought to you by the American Egg Network. 
The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 BC. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders. The baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network.